Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. Um, so today's episode, um, the topic for it sort of came from, as I think many of the best topics for the show do, came from an experience I I had this week and something that I thought was worth trying to unpack and trying to find a general lesson uh, from. Um, and the specific experience that I ran into is probably about maybe three or four weeks ago, I launched a relatively large update to Pedometer++. I think I mentioned some of the details about it on the show. It added badges, and I did some visual refreshing. Um, But one of the things I also did as part of this, uh, as part of my visual redesigns, is I changed the way that the tip jar in the app worked. Um, So Pedometer++ is a free app. um, It has ads in it, and then it has in the settings area, there's a tip jar area that basically is the, hey, would you like to support the app? Um, You know, give me you know, a little bit, a little bit of money. And if you do a, it's just like a nice thing. And it's, you know, people have an opportunity to support the app directly, um, in kind of more of a, a less aggressive way. And then also it it will also remove the ads, um, as well. And I used to have three different sort of like buckets that you could choose from for giving me a tip. I think they were, I had a 99 cents, I had a dollar 99, and I think I had one that was 3.99 or 4.99. Um, you know, and sort of increasing in size. And um, the reason I had originally structured it that way was this general vague sort of like business advice that I remember hearing in a podcast somewhere or reading in a book somewhere um, that was talking about anchoring and about, you know, talking about, oh, you know, why do they have like the extra super large soda at McDonald's? And it's like, well, the reason you have these extra, these sort of these bigger things is to not necessarily sell more extra large super gulps, but is to increase, you know, sort of move people up the line because people are sort of more tend to be afraid of the extremes. So, you know, they they would rather be somewhere in the middle. Um, And also it, you know, it it has an anchoring effect where, you know, in this case, if I, one of the tips is $5 and then the other one is 99 cents. And then the one in the middle is $1.99. Um, you know, the dollar ninety nine standing next to the you know the four ninety nine or whatever feels a bit smaller, and so it has these could potentially, in theory, um, have this sort of this positive psychological effect, or at least that's what I told myself. I didn't really. It's kind of one of those things where it's this vague sort of notion that I remember hearing and reading, and so I tried it, and it had been that way for years um, since I first introduced the tip jar. Uh, but in this update, I kind of had this feeling that it, like I didn't like the design of it visually. I thought it was a little bit complicated. Um, and also there was some things I needed to do where um, there's a, sort of a requirement now where you have to be able to uh, restore purchases for thing, any restore a purchase uh, for anything that has an actual effect. So if it was just a straight up tip, you wouldn't necessarily need to restore purchases. But uh, in this case, I needed to you know, make, make, it, make it a bit more s- simple and straightforward to make sure AppReview was happy. And so I just dropped the two extremes. Um, I got rid of the lowest and the highest uh, tip value. And there's just a button now that says, you know, it's like, uh, would you like to, you know, put a dollar ninety nine in the tip jar? Uh, and something interesting happened as a result of making this change. Um, the total revenue that I received uh, from tips in the app um, now, and especially I can tell this now the story now because it, things have settled down. You know, initially there's 
a nice spike um, when there's a new update. You know, people tend to be a bit more generous with their tipping right after an update, it seems. Um, but things have settled down now. And the result is that I make now about 20% more from tips than I did previously, than I did throughout, you know, so sort of the running average for the last few years even. You know, it's now this substantial sort of step up, even though I've removed the um, the top option. And it seemed like an interesting lesson to unpack here where I feel like it's so easy um, as somebody who comes from a non-business background. Um, like I, I enjoy listening to a lot. I listen to a lot of business podcasts and things like that just for the purposes of trying to flesh this out. Uh, you know, sort of in my experience, but I don't come from a background where this is the kind of thing that I would have studied or been taught. And so I'm just kind of making it up as I go along. And it's easy, I think, sometimes to somewhat blindly follow this kind of general advice um, that I, in my mind, it's like, well, some fancy business person said that this is the way that you do it. Like, if you want to maximize the number of people who are buying the middle one, you need to put something, you know, smaller below it and bigger above it. And that's where they'll go. In this case, it turned out that wasn't the case. Um, and if I hadn't sort of tried to you know, follow this advice that um, the reality is I probably don't fully understand, um, I may have been making 20% more all this time. And so that seemed like something that was worth kind of dealing with um, and has made me start to think about, are there any other kinds of advice that I sort of take and use without really probably fully understanding? When it comes to like you know, business advice for pricing or marketing or positioning or, you know, things like that, like, you know, th this kind of topic, I think it's important to consider a few uh, caveats to everything. Like, number one, you don't need any qualifications to write a business book. Anybody can write these books and they are, or these, or these blog posts or these medium essays, and they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Um, so that, you know, that's, you know, disclaimer number one is like, take everything with a grain of salt because anybody could have written it. Including our advice. Including our advice. Yes, this applies to us as well. Disclaimer number two uh, is that a lot of the popular, you know, business theories out there uh, are exactly that, theories. Uh, they aren't necessarily proven by data all the time. Um, and and so it's hard uh, sometimes to know like what you know what is being explained by how people think it works versus what actually does work and the big the biggest caveat number three is that different things work for different apps and different markets and different products um, so all these theories and 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 books and everything they might be great they might be perfectly valid for selling like you know the classic example of like selling widgets from a factory like you know if you're selling like a premium product uh, you know that that you're making physically, then that's that's a different story from if you're selling an app on the app store or an in-app purchase for something within an app in the app store. Like these are all it, these product types work so differently, and the markets they sell to and the the, the factors involved are are all so different. Um, and and even within one of these factors, like e even if you say, all right, within the market of in-app purchases in iPhone apps, uh, you know, which is you know somewhat narrow i guess compared to like the whole world of how you could possibly make money in business but even within that there are huge differences what type of app are you making this purchase in what does the purchase do why would the person buy it uh you know like there's those things vary wildly like you have a tip jar in a pedometer app that doesn't really do much of anything except remove an ad so it's more like a goodwill kind of thing or for, for people who really hate ads and are willing to pay to remove them that's very different from 
buying yourself a new bomb in the game that you just invested six hours in and your brain is telling you, oh my God, just keep going at whatever cost. I have to get through this next level. Buy the bomb. You know, like these are completely different mindsets and psychologies that that go into these purchases and so they have to be met with totally different approaches and so any advice you you hear or read out there might be about one thing and it might be perfectly valid for one thing but that might be completely different from what you are doing in your app or in your product or in your store so everything has to be taken with a grain of salt and when possible and when practical the best approach is usually to just try stuff like you usually do and like you did here because you know, nothing will show you more than just trying it, you know, whether something will work for you or not. That isn't always practical, though, you know, like, you know, changing the way you make money, changing your pricing, uh, changing the way purchases are set up or are displayed or or are, you know, marketed. In some cases, you can tweak things a little bit here and there and see results fairly quickly without much effort. But in some cases, changing these things or trying something else takes massive effort, takes massive setup. Um, Sometimes, you, you risk angering your customers if you change things more than zero to two times, like in a, in a short time. Like, you know, like, sometimes it's hard to experiment with these things. Um, but when possible and when it's relatively easy to experiment, I highly suggest that you do so because nothing is better than just trying it to, in order to get data on what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And I think it's that experimentation part. Um, is the thing that in this case I, I kind of am like kicking myself that I, I I didn't do because it's so often something that I do do that I've tried so many different things I do lots of different apps I I tend to have a fairly experimental approach and in this case I just kind of found something that kind of worked um, and it worked well enough and because it worked well enough I just kind of went with it and I feel like that is probably also something to be on the lookout for of something where it's like if it works just if it works a little bit um because say you followed some advice and it seems to be working a little bit um it's be still being circumspect about it and deciding you know it did it work a little bit because um of the advice you got and if you hadn't followed that advice it would have kind of all fallen apart or and you know, not worked at all um or is that just like the base level and there's still a lot of room for improvement or opportunity there um that you could take advantage of by being a, by experimenting a little bit by trying different things. Um, and I mean, keeping in mind that I think it's easy to be a little bit too scared of, of trying things out. But then of course I come back and I think about overcast and I think about its history and the number of different business models and the number of different approaches um, that you've tried in that. And there's certainly been bumps in that, but the reality is like overall, it seems like people adapt and move, adapt and move with it so that as long as you have a sort of a, a clear story at any one time, um, you know, like people can, people will move with you as you explore and adapt to things. Um, and don't be too worried about trying, um, you know, too many different options. We are sponsored this week by Linode. Linode has fast, powerful web hosting that you can set up in just seconds. Their tools are very easy to understand, and they let you choose your resources in your Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility that you need no matter what app you're trying to build. Linode plans now start at just $5 a month. That gets you a Linux server with 1 gig of RAM in the Linode cloud. Linode has over 400,000 customers, including the two of us. We've been with them for a long time. I love Linode so much. This where It's where I host all of my stuff, and I'm so, so happy I hosted there. I've had lots of experience with other web hosts, a massive amount of experience with other web hosts. 
and I really never loved any of them as much as I love Linode, and that's why I've really consolidated all my stuff there because it's just it's so much better than everything else. Um, Linode's control panel is beautiful. It's easy. It's nicely designed. It's easy to do things. The things you can do are very capable and useful. Even things that I would never think would actually work, like resizing a disk partition, <laughs> actually just work every time. It's it's kind of amazing. Um, they have all sorts of advanced features too. They have two factor authentication. They have snapshots, backups. It's it's incredible. So. Whether you are getting started with just your first server or deploying a complex system, check out Linode. They have fantastic pricing options available. Once again, you can get a server with one gig of RAM for just five bucks a month. Uh, they go all the way up. They have lots of different options. For instance, you can get 16 gigs of RAM for just 60 bucks a month. And across the board, this is twice the amount of RAM that you'll get elsewhere at the same prices. As a listener of this show, sign up at linode.com slash radar, and you'll be, support, you'll be supporting us, and also you'll get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use promo code RADAR2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode, my favorite web host, for supporting this show. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, my experience with this is, is you know, somewhat similar. Uh, when I took Overcast to the auto-renewing subscription model about about a little over a year ago now, I made a decision to simplify things. So before that, you know, Overcast had, for, for a couple of years before that, it had a voluntary subscription uh, that you could opt into for various, you know, small benefits. Um, and then I later I added ads, uh, and, the, and the, the subscription would would give you the option to remove the ads as well. Um, and so last year, I changed the subscription from non-renewing, just like the single purchase of you'll buy a three-month interval or a six-month interval or a 12-month interval, um, to an auto-renewing subscription. Um, auto-renewing subscriptions used to be a lot worse. I actually wrote a blog post a few years ago when I was using Instapaper for them, um, or using them with Instapaper, rather, that I basically said auto-renewing subscriptions are not recommended <laughs> because they were really a pain to implement and maintain back then. They have gotten better. I wouldn't say massively better, but they are better uh, now. And now they come with the additional benefit of uh, if somebody stays subscribed for more than a year, uh, you're your subsequent years after year one for that person net you 85% of the revenue instead of 70%. So you basically get a raise and it is it is a way to uh, keep more of your money on the app store than any any other method. Um, so that, that's really nice. Uh, so now I would say if you're using subscriptions, auto-renewing has improved enough and has enough of that upside with the 85% on year two and up uh, that I do recommend auto-renewing subscriptions now for things where that makes sense. Um, so anyway... For years, and this the same thing applied to Instapaper, um, I had three options. I had three, six, and 12-month subscription buying. And I did this for much of the same reason that you were talking about with things like anchoring. Um, also, you know, and I apologize to anybody who is like, a, you know, an econ or business major or certified person who, who, I apologize if we are mangling or oversimplifying any of these terms. Most of this I learned from Econ 101 or blog posts, <laughs> so, so I apologize in advance. Um, but you know, one of the things I was trying to do um, with these options was to capture the consumer surplus, <laughs> which is an Econ 101 term. I hope I'm using it right. Uh, we're, Fancy, yeah. We're basically like different people are willing and able to pay different amounts, and so what you what you ideally want to do 
is have multiple tiers of products or services so that the people who can't or won't spend a lot of money, they have a nice inexpensive option. Um, there's some kind of you know middle thing for middle people. And then there's like an expensive option that people who really want to and are able to give you a lot of money, give them a way to do that. If you just charge the same amount of money for one option for everybody, there's only one price, one option, you're going to lose people on the bottom end who can't or won't pay that price. And the people on the top end who, who would have paid more, you're missing out on potential money you could have made by having some way to charge them more. Um, that's the theory. In practice, there's all sorts of complexity that goes, around, that goes into trying to implement a, a, you know, some kind of thing where you're trying to have products at every price point and everything. You know, see the iPad lineup, uh, for, for an example of this. Uh, there's all sorts of complexity and downsides to it. But the general idea is sound. It is nice to have multiple options to charge different people. The problem is there's also a pretty widely you know, thought and probably backed up by data theory that you will make more money in things like computer-based checkouts or phone-based checkouts. You'll make more money the easier it is for people to pay you. And the fewer steps are involved in doing that and the fewer decisions are involved in doing that. Because if someone's thinking, hey, you know, I might want might to pay for this thing. The more interruptions you present to that process, the more barriers you put up, the more likely it is that they're just going to say, yeah, you know what, forget it. I'll, I'll come back to this later. Or I don't, you know what, I don't care that much. I don't, I don't want to go through all this. Forget it. Um, so you don't want to present them with too many choices or barriers or options or, or you know, reasons to doubt their purchase before they commit and say, all right, do it, buy it. It's a tricky balance between like trying to have different plans for you know different price points to capture more of that consumer surplus uh, or trying to keep things simple. So what I decided to do for years and years, I had those three different intervals, three, six, and 12 months. There was actually no discount. They were they, like, you know, the 12-month price was just four times more expensive than the, than the three-month price and six months was in the middle. You know, like it, it's, there, there was no gain to doing that. But I did find that the 12 month, which I expected to sell the least, was actually the top grossing item. Um, whenever I would have those three, six, and 12 month options in both Instapaper and in previous versions of Overcast, 12 month was always top grossing. Three month was second, and nobody bought the six. Like, <laughs> I don't, and, and it was that way for, since the beginning of Instapaper from until, until I, I eventually, um, after I sold it, I think they, they transitioned to an auto renewing subscription model shortly after that, or maybe it was, maybe even I did it. I don't even remember. It's so long ago. <laughs> but, uh, but when there were those three options, three sold the most volume, six didn't sell much of, all, much of anything, and 12 was by far the top grossing. And what I learned from that was that my users were pretty loyal my, my, and that when, people who would pay for this kind of thing at all would pay for the high one pretty often and certainly often enough that it could have been the only option. It was also an awkward price because my price was $12 a year. You know, it was a dollar a month. So it was, you know, $11.99 in the App Store. And the App Store, you know, I think economically, I think a lot of people might balk at a, at a two-digit dollar figure in US dollars. Um, you know, there's a lot of price psychology that goes into pricing things that's gone back for forever, where people like end prices in 99, instead of rounding up to the next dollar. So you'll have like 9.99 instead of $10. Because the theory is that that sounds better and people will buy it, whereas $10 sounds like a lot because it's double digits, you know, like that kind of theory. And again, this is all, you know, backed by decades and decades of theory that might necessarily not be I might not be based on a lot of data, so I apologize if any of this is totally wrong in practice. But anyway, um, so 
when it came time to switch to auto-renewing for Overcast, what I decided to do was only have the one-year option. And this was both to keep it simple, to try to guide more people in through it to say, like, all right, if I keep it simple, then there's fewer barriers, fewer decisions to make, and more people will subscribe. Also, I wanted people to kind of commit. You know, like, if you have a, a, a cheap option and an expensive option, then a lot of people obviously are going to pick the cheap one. And I'm like, you know, am I better off having fewer people but having more of them picking the the most expensive one-year option than if I have, you know, you know, no, you know, the the spread of options where that I'm losing some of the some of the possible high end. And I thought too with auto renewing, the auto renewing subscription is going to bother people once a year with an email from Apple saying, "Hey, this this is about to renew," and every time it renews, then you know those people are get they get that email, they have a chance to say, "You know what? Never mind. I don't want this." Um, and I I know I'm going to, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to lose people every time it renews. Hopefully, I'm staying ahead with, you know, net subscribers. But every time it renews, I'm going to lose people. So my theory is, why don't I make it renew as infrequently as possible? <laughs> so that, that way, like, there are fewer people, there are fewer times per year when people will either get upset that they forgot to cancel it uh, or that they will re- be reminded to cancel it. And, and they'll, they'll get that email that basically reminded them, hey, you might want to cancel this every time they get this email. Um, so having a once a year option was my theory for maximizing that. Um, and I also, rather than having once a year at eleven ninety nine, I decided to take advantage of that price rounding, you know, theory or or behavior, and just drop it to nine ninety nine for one year, and that's the only option I offer. And I've even gone through in different countries uh, where the exchange rate was such that it would it push it a little bit above some round number, like you know eleven ninety nine Great British pounds or something like that. Uh, I've gone through, and you can you can edit prices per territory with auto renewing subscriptions now. I, I don't I don't know if you did for all internet purchases, but you can do that with with subscriptions now. Um, so I went through and basically anything that was near a boundary, I lowered it back down below that boundary. So nice. it's you know nine ninety nine pounds, nine ninety nine US dollars, you know nine ninety nine Canadian dollars, Australian, like all the all the amounts that are kind of close, I, I would drop them down. So it's all one unified price because. I have the luxury with this with this internet purchase, which a lot of people do for their internet purchases, where there is no physical product that I'm transferring here. There's no real cost to what I'm offering. So I can offer the internet purchase at pretty much arbitrary prices. It's pretty much like I would like people to pay me some money. It doesn't really matter within a certain range how much money they're paying me. Like it, it's I'm I would rather have some have people paying me something per year than nothing per year. So that's also applies to different uh, regions where money is is you know worth different amounts. So like you go to places where ten dollars U.S. sounds really expensive. So places like China, uh, Russia, India, you can go to these places and you can lower your prices dramatically. So like I I would go to some of these regions where like the dollar or like the the, the prices seemed higher by comparison, um, and you know cut the price in half or something like that. Like you know really cut it down. So but the theory being like. Again, I'd rather have some money than no money from people who live here and, and who see the price in this certain way because of the exchange rate. Um, so all those strategies so far seem to have worked very, very well. And by simplifying the offering from three options to one, I also have seen, you know, because even though I cut the price slightly from 12 to $10 a year, 
uh, I've made it up both in additional purchases because it's been an easier flow and also the 85% on year two. So, so far, I'm very happy with my arrangement as well. Yeah, and I feel like, too, there's such an element in this of it's we can optimize for the wrong thing sometimes. Like what you're doing there is like you're making it so much you're making it simpler for everybody and understanding that having some amount of revenue from any from any like getting any non having any non zero paying customer is a massive win. Um, And your goal is to maximize those like in in that case, you just you just want to optimize to bring in as many of those people as you can. Um, and there may be other variables or things that we just have to be okay with ignoring or with not optimizing for. Um, but overall, it's pr- often, is in, the, like in your case, it works out great where it comes out overall better. And even if it didn't come out overall strictly better, there is still an advantage to like the super simple, easy to explain, easy to understand uh, business model that it's you know isn't one of these things where you're creating these barriers and these you know any any amount of confusion because the reality too is i thinking is we don't have the luxury of uh, like sophisticated or complicated marketing materials or uh, opportunities to com- you know communicate extensively with our customers like that's just not something that we you know have the ability to do where maybe this kind of a situation comes, you know, would, would, would be a bit easier to have multiple tiers or to have more complicated uh, pricing. Because typically the reality is it's like when pricing gets complicated, um, you know, if you, if, you go to, if you go to buy something and the pricing isn't straightforward, it's usually because they're doing, you know, they're finding some way to sort of squeeze a little bit more out of you. It's not, it's not, it's not because they're trying to make their life, your life easier as a customer. You know, they're trying to make their bottom line better as a, you know, as, as a, business um and so it's like in some ways i also kind of just like the feeling of from a customer goodwill perspective like making it straightforward for them like giving presenting someone with a simple straightforward option it's like would you like to support this app or in this or would you like to add these features or whatever it is it's like yes or no and it's a simple choice and if they decide no great no, no it's it's like that's fine um you hopefully will make it up from just the the, the breadth of your user base um, but if yes, then great. Like here, just push this button. We're done. And there's not a, anything more to it. Um, because I think the reality is it's hard enough to get people to the point of even considering it. Um, that yeah, the last thing we want to do is probably is make that a hard choice for them. Yeah. And that's, that's very, very smart because again, like the, you know, the one business theory that, that seems to be, you know, most supported and, and least arguable is when you make it easy, when you remove barriers, when you remove options, people tend to buy more frequently. Um, and and so anything you can do to simplify it also simplifies other things. Simplifies your app, your back end that's tracking all this, your reporting, uh, any kind of an, any kind of analytics you're doing on you know like on what leads to sales and everything. And also press like when 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 the press talks about your app, if you're lucky enough to get press. It's a lot easier if if they if the story that they can tell people is as simple as, yeah, you know, the app is free or whatever, but then you pay ten dollars a year if you want these things, or five dollars one time if you want these things. Like, that's a much simpler story than oh, the app has these six different plans that you know you can that you can choose between, and it's like, how many people are going to look at those six different plans and just say, you know what, 
never mind. I got I got to do more research. I'll deal with this later. And sometimes they'll even be less happy. Like if you if you pick the wrong level of something, they might then it introduces the chance that they'll be less happy with their purchase afterwards because they wonder, oh, maybe I should have picked the other thing. Maybe you know, maybe they'll regret what they did. And when you have just you know fewer options, you do lose that consumer surplus capture on some degree. But you also have so many other benefits that it is definitely worth considering and, if possible, trying for your app. Yeah, and I think too, in general, like, and the more I was thinking about this topic uh, in preparation for the show, like, I I kept thinking of examples of you know sort of general good like general business advice. And the somewhat amusing thing is for any situation that I thought of something, um, I almost always could think of a completely contradictory bit of advice (laughs) um, that corresponds to it. Like in this case, there's the, you know, you can capture maximum, you know, consumer surplus by having a tiered uh, system with anchoring, so on and so on, fancy words. Um, Or on the flip side, (laughs) you could like, there's the paradox of choice and saying if you present people with too many choices, then they're more, they're the most likely choice they will make is no choice. Um, Or you could say like the customer is always right as like this sort of this general adage. Or you could say on the flip side that like opinionated design um, is better. Um, or like, there's always these, this tension I find, I think between these, like for anything, there's very, it's like, there's always a complete opposite bit of advice that you could just as easily latch onto and, um, and take with you. And so in closing, what I was thinking about saying is, it's just like, I think the most important thing for us as we're developing our applications is a, if one of those choices, if you have this sort of these competing bits of advice, Choose the one that is simplest, that is easiest, um, that is going to uh, that you like understand the most. Um, is probably always going to be end end up better for you than just than trying to um, you know do something that is more more sophisticated, more complicated. Like maybe that, that there is some theoretical benefit that you may you may be not taking advantage of by doing that. But more often than not, simpler is better. Doing something that is going to make you happy is better. And if you just do those things, then like maybe that's just the best advice at all. Like just keep it simple, do something you enjoy, and you'll you'll end up better off than trying to do something complicated that you don't like. I think you've written the shortest business book ever. There you go. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.